Hey, church family, welcome to our online service. So glad you can uh, join us today. Hey, I just want to encourage you uh, to stay faithful, stay prayerful, stay in the Word, and trust God during this difficult time. My mom always reminds me that life is tough, but God is faithful, and He is so faithful. We're going to get through this. This soon will pass, so let's just hang in there and trust God through it all. Let's now get in the Word of God. Turn, if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. We're now in part 9 of our series, Faith in Action. Again, James uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Now, in last week's text, verses 1 through 12, the focus was on the tongue. And James dealt with the subject of our words, which was a convicting message, by the way. And so having dealt with the subject of our words, he now deals with and devotes the remainder of these verses on the subject of, of wisdom. So he goes from words that flow from our mouths uh, to wisdom that flows from our lives. The title of my message today is Wisdom from Above. Now, before we even get into the text, I want to show you how to obtain wisdom from above. And the, the Word of God shows about four ways how to obtain that. And the first way is by our relationship to Jesus, by our relationship to Jesus. Listen, apart from, from the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we cannot become recipients of God's wisdom. And this is where it all begins. And I want you to write these scriptures down. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, where it says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us, listen now, become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Colossians 2, 1 through 3 says this. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. This is Paul writing. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ, listen to what he says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the first way is by our relationship to Jesus. The second way is by developing a reverence for God, by developing a reverence for God. Write that down and then write this down. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Job 28, 28, Job 28, chapter 28, verse 28 says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. You see, according to the word, a right view of God brings forth wisdom. So I want you to follow me here. Wisdom comes when we respect God's power, his power to create, his power to control, his power to, to discipline, his power to destroy, to observe him as holy and to love him and to know him as, as God. Listen, wisdom all stems from knowing him, his greatness and his power and his holiness. It's a devout reverence or a worshipful regard for who he is. And you see, a reverence for who he is will lead to wisdom. So it's by our relationship to Jesus, by developing a reverence for God. And the third way is through the word, through the word. I love that, through the word. Write this down. Psalm 119, verses 97 through 100. Psalm 119, verses 97 through 100. It says this, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it 
all day long. Your commands make me, here we go, make me wiser. There it is, wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. Colossians 3.16, Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ, gosh, I love this, the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Wisdom. Listen, true lasting wisdom is found by saturating our minds, saturating our minds with the word of God. Now, I want to tell you, friends, there's no substitute for regular reading, studying, and meditation of the Word of God. So, hey, you want wisdom? You want wisdom? It's found in the Word. Therefore, friends, you need to spend time, time in the Word of God. And you see, God, God opens His wisdom to those who open His Word. Now, listen, our thinking, as believers, our thinking should be soaked, should be saturated in the scriptures. So it's by our relationship to Jesus, by developing a reverence for God through the word. And the fourth way is through prayer, through prayer. Now, remember, remember what James said uh, back in chapter one, verse five. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should, what? Ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. So he's talking about trials in that text, and, and he's saying, and, 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 and what he's saying is, is wisdom is necessary in order for us to deal with our trials in the right manner so that we would act wisely, act wisely. Now, if you're saved, say amen. If you want wisdom, just ask God. Just ask God. That's all you got to do. And he's ready and willing to give it to you. In fact, he's far more ready and willing to give it to you than you are ready or willing to ask for it or receive it. So just ask for it. So those are the four ways to obtain wisdom from above. Now, in our text, James is showing us the contrast between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. And what he does, he, he deals specifically with the wisdom of God and the contrast it has with knowledge obtained through the world. And this is a test for us. This is a test for us to know whether we're walking and living in godly wisdom or worldly wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I need godly wisdom for my life. I need it. I need it to make right, wise decisions, sound decisions, and above all, to have healthy relationships in my marriage, my family, friendships, ministry, working relationships. I need God's wisdom in my life. Now, going back to last week's message on the tongue, if we are to control our tongue, then we need godly wisdom because godly wisdom produces, listen now, produces right words and right actions. I want to share four points with you from our text today. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is the proof of godly wisdom. The proof of godly wisdom. Now, I want you to look at verse 13a with me. James writes, who is wise and understanding among you? So what James does, he begins uh, with a rhetorical question. And what he's doing, he's getting, uh, getting them to, 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 to think here, getting them to think here. In other words, in, in, what are you, in what are you wise? In what way, excuse me, in what way are you wise? In what way are you understanding? 
And you see, I believe that they had their own view of wisdom and perhaps they had a lot of knowledge, perhaps a lot of information, and therefore thought of themselves as living wise. Now today, we live in the information age and we have information at the very tips of our fingers. I mean, if you want to know about a certain subject or a certain topic, all you got to do is what? Google it. We are, we are a well-informed culture. That being said, listen now, there's a lot of folks out there who are well-informed without wisdom. In the same way, there's a lot of believers who are well-informed about the Bible. I mean, they have great knowledge of the Word. They, they know what God wants in their lives, but fail to exercise it. They fail to put the Word, put it into practice. Now, we spent a little time on the subject of wisdom in part two of this series. And you might remember, wisdom is knowledge put into practice. In the Greek, the word wisdom is sophia, sophia. And it's used to describe the, the inner intuitive, uh, the inner understanding. It's where we instinctively know what God wants and then acting upon it. In the Old Testament, the main ideal for wisdom was that of a skill. It includes the skill of workers who made uh, garments for the high priest and who were able to work with metal and stone and wood. It also extends to those who are able to execute a battle plan or, or lead government or assess difficult situations and use their time uh, carefully. Let me, let me put it this way. Now think about a person who's a good driver. Think about a person uh, who's a good driver, and, and they're a good driver not because they, they can drive fast or because they have a nice car. They're a good driver because they know how to keep their vehicle under control. They know how to adjust their speed based on conditions. Uh, they, they see other drivers approaching, and they respond to those drivers appropriately, whether it's through stopping or turning. So wisdom is like that. It sees life clearly and responds to life appropriately. And so by wisdom, James is talking about the skill that enables us to live obediently and to respond to life appropriately and faithfully before God. And what it does, it enables us to put things together and relate God's truth to daily life. And you see what James is doing here. James is seeking to identify who is truly skilled in the art of righteous living. And he's telling believers, it's not just words of wisdom it's works of wisdom. In other words, live what you believe because wisdom is application of knowledge. Look at verse 13b with me. Verse 13b, James says, let him show it, show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Say, say show it, say show it. So, so he's referring to the behavior, get this now, the behavior in one's daily life and not the level of knowledge nor intelligence. And you see, James is saying true wisdom can be measured. Got to get this now. True wisdom can be measured by the depth of a person's character, not their knowledge, not their intelligence, but a person's character. In other words, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. And listen, it has nothing to do with your intelligence. It has nothing to do with your knowledge. It has everything to do with your character. Character. So if you're saved, say amen. Follow me here. It's not a matter of what you say with your lips. It's a matter of what you live with your life. It's not a matter of your words. It's a matter of your works. It's not a matter of how many diplomas you have. It's a matter of your disposition, disposition that shows how wise you really are. 
The bottom line is this. We are to reveal godly wisdom by our actions. You see, genuine faith provides a lifestyle, a lifestyle, I love that, of godly wisdom. And James says that godly wisdom will be apparent. It will show forth in the life that we live. It will be revealed, revealed in our words and in our actions. Now notice the text. Stay with me now. Let him show it by his good life. Say good life. Say that. Say good life. So, so what's the good life? What does it mean? I mean, here in America, we talk about the good life, don't we? We talk about the good life. And well, the good life in the eyes of many Americans is, is having a good job or, or having a nice home or a nice car or nice clothes or, or surrounded by a lot of friends or, or money in the bank or, you know, having uh, the latest iPhone. I want you to notice that, 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 that it's all based on what a person possesses. Well, the good life in our text is referring to a lifestyle, to, to good behavior, to, to disciplined conduct. It's not showing others what you possess, rather showing them who possesses you. Your, your lifestyle, your behavior shows others that Jesus Christ, I love this, that Jesus Christ is a possessor of your life. Write these scriptures down. 1 Peter 3.16 says, Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. 2 Peter 3.11 says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. You see, godly wisdom shows up in our lifestyle, and we find the expression of wisdom in our behavior. Now, now notice, James gives, gives us an example. Notice the text. By deeds, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Say deeds, say deeds. Listen, our Christianity is something that should be seen by others. Matthew, they should see our deeds. Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Matthew 5.16. Your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, the ultimate result is to glorify God, but they also should see good deeds in and through our lives. Let's look at the text again. Deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Say humility. Say humility. Could also mean, or could also be rendered as, as meekness, which means strength under control. It's a God-honored character trait of the fruit of the Spirit. It's never bitter. It's never vengeful. It's never malicious. It's never self-seeking. It's never self-promoting. It's not a lifestyle that says, look what I've done. Rather, look at what God has done through me. I love that, through me. So number one is the proof of godly wisdom. Point number two, point number two is the pollution, the pollution of worldly wisdom. The pollution of worldly wisdom. So here we see the contrast to godly wisdom. I want you to follow me here. Worldly wisdom is centered on one question. And that one question is, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? 
And the person with worldly, earthly wisdom is preoccupied with getting their own way. And this person sees their own desires, their own standards, and their own ideas as a measure for everything else. And if you disagree with them or stand in their way or get in their way, you become their enemy. Look at verse 14a. But if you harbor bitter envy, not just envy, but bitter envy, Envy is a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions or qualities. In other words, it means to be displeased when you hear of someone's advantage or prosperity. It means to be displeased when you hear of someone's advantage or prosperity. That being said, question, how do you respond or how do you feel when you hear about someone being blessed? Are you excited, excuse me, excited about it? Or do you grumble about it? Let me ask you a question. Do you rejoice over someone's success or are you displeased? And hopefully we rejoice over someone's success. Look at verse 14b with me. And selfish ambition in, our, in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. In the Greek, the word selfish ambitions is erethea. Erethea, and it's spelled E R I. T-H-E-I-A, E-R-I-T-H-E-I-A, erythea. And it means strife. It means contentiousness. It means extreme selfishness. And this is someone uh, who, whose only purpose in life is to advance his or her own interests, his or her own agenda. Now listen, envy and selfish ambition, this is, it's, it's being spirited. It's mean-spirited. And James warns them, warns us not to deny the truth about envy and selfish ambition. It's worldly wisdom. And we need to recognize it as sin, as sin. So there's a lesson here. What's the lesson? Don't fool ourselves. Don't fool ourselves. Hey, we have envy and bitterness or strife in our hearts. We're not in a good place, friends. We're not in a good place. And if we have this kind of stuff, this kind of junk, in our hearts, we can't be trusted. And if we have this stuff, this junk in our hearts, we need, we need to repent of it. Now, notice James shows us the source. Look at verse 15 with me. Such wisdom, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. And I want to stop there, okay? Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. So God's omitted from the picture. The, they, they rule God out of the whole equation here. It's a wisdom that, that's drawn from this world rather than from God. And James, notice James emphasizes this by saying such wisdom is what? Unspiritual. Again, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. And then he says unspiritual. Your Bibles might render it as sensual. And it means belonging to the soul and refers to the natural mind and, and physical aspects of man. And this has to do with our appetites and our passions. It's, it's produced by the, the, the old nature, life in the natural world, the, the fallen world. It's the opposite of spiritual. It's totally apart from the Spirit of God. Now write this down, 1 Corinthians 2.14. And I'm going to read it out of the King James, 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man, get that? The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So worldly wisdom is earthly, it's unspiritual. 
Now notice, ultimately, James says, worldly wisdom is of the devil. Let's read that text again. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, slash sensual of the devil. So it's demonic in nature. Its roots are rooted in hell. Worldly wisdom is literally of the devil. That's what James is saying. It stoops to actions that resemble the behavior of the devil and his demons. Wow. Someone said this. The devil's goal... The devil's goal has always been to get us to turn from God and trust only ourselves. He seduces us with notions of spirituality while moving us further and further from the true God. Listen, friends, anything that is contrary to the will and the ways of God is motivated of Satan. Now, I know, I know there are those who refuse to acknowledge this truth, but the truth is this. We are either servants of God or servants of Satan. Notice James then shows us the destructive nature, destructive nature of worldly wisdom. Look at verse 16 with me. Verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. There you find disorder and every evil practice. Right? So wherever you find envy and selfish ambition, you always find disorder, disharmony, and every kind of evil. You see, nothing genuinely profitable is obtained through worldly wisdom. And this wisdom seeks to cover the truth with lies, and it ends, listen, and it ends, and, 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 and in the end, excuse me, in the end, it generates, it generates evil. Listen, confusion and evil are contrary to the nature of God. Confusion and evil are contrary to the nature of God. I want you to write this down, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. It says, for God, listen now, is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. I love that. Now, I think I would be correct in saying that most problems in our relationships and in our churches stem from envy and selfish ambition. And I want to tell you, friends, this should have no place in our lives and no place in the church. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, our lives, if we're believers, our lives should be marked, marked with wisdom from above, not wisdom from below. Number three, number three is the pattern of godly wisdom. Write that down. The pattern, the pattern of godly wisdom wisdom. And James begins to describe the pattern, the, the, the pattern, the qualities, the, the characteristics of true godly wisdom. Look at verse 17 with me. And he says, but, well, the word but there contrasts worldly wisdom with godly wisdom. So he says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, from heaven, kind of like a, a river flowing from above, that comes from heaven is first of all, notice what he does, James now lists eight characteristics, is first of all, Pure, say pure, pure. Why pure? Because its source is pure. He says pure. Pure means holy, it means no, no deceit. It means free from defilement, non-contaminated. In the Greek, it means to be unmixed or untainted by any impurity. Hey, without purity, it's not wisdom from heaven, friends. Now, I want you to get this. Godly wisdom leads to purity. Man's wisdom leads to sin. And without godly purity, godly wisdom is not obtained. 
And you see, being, listen, listen, being listed first, the word pure, being listed first, this quality is set apart from those that follow. And this is the foremost and basic characteristic of wisdom that God gives. So God is saying this, and God is saying this, God, actually, God demands holiness. He's saying you need to be holy. 1 Peter 1.16, right, says this, be holy for I am holy. So question, is your life becoming holy? Are you finding yourself daily set apart from the world? Are you staying away from those things and, and perhaps even people who can contaminate your life? Is your life becoming holy? Now, I believe that our churches need to hear more holiness preached from the pulpit. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, if you said amen, we need to be serious about our moral behavior. I'm going to say it again. We need to be serious about our moral behavior. We need to be pure in thought, in thought, and in action. Pure in thought, and in action. First of all, he says pure. Then he says peace-loving. The next characteristic is peace-loving. So if we're pure, then there will be peace. You see, man's wisdom says, cover up my sin to keep things together. God's wisdom says, confess my sins and peace will keep things together. Listen, we need to work at maintaining harmony in our relationships. We need to be peacemakers, not troublemakers or peace breakers. We need to recognize, friends, pride, anger, and jealousy and deal with it and deal with it and turn from it before it destroys our relationships. Write this down, 1 Peter 3.11. 1 Peter 3, 11. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Do you get that? Ephesians 4, 3. Ephesians 4, 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of, of peace. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Hey, if you're causing trouble uh, um, over petty issues in your relationships, then, then you're not being peace-loving. You're not acting with godly wisdom. One, one writer said, God's wisdom never starts quarrel, strife, dissension, and turbulence. And by the way, when it comes to your relationships, you need to avoid three things. Three things to avoid is, is, first of all, comparing. You need to avoid comparing in your relationships. You know, you're just like your father. You're just like your mother. Or how come you can't be like so-and-so? Or how about this? And well, my, my first husband, wow. Those are fighting words, man. You're asking for a fight. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, it's unwise to compare. So we need to avoid comparing. We also need to avoid condemning. We need to avoid condemning. Words will kill your relationships. And friends, I want to say this. You can bury your marriage and your friendships with a lot of little digs. So we need to avoid comparing, condemning. And we need to avoid competing. We got to quit competing with each other in our relationships. We need to, listen, not compete with each other. Rather, compliment one another. Compliment one another. We need to be competitive. Completers, not competitors. So if you're peace-loving, you won't compare, you won't condemn, and you won't compete. 
So he says pure, peace-loving. Then the next characteristic that he lists is considerate. Your Bibles might render it as gentle, but it's being mindful of the feelings of others. It's, it's one who will listen to others, willing, I love this, willing to bend and make changes changes as necessary for the good of others. So let me ask you this, friends, okay? Are, are you being mindful of the feelings of others? Are you? Let me ask you this. Are you one who listens to others? And are you willing to bend and make changes for the good of others? Are you considerate? The next characteristic he lists is submissive. It means obedience, submissive. It means obedience or one who yields to authority. It's the opposite of being rebellious. In the Greek, it's trans translated, excuse me, translated reasonable, willing to listen and to be open to ideas and suggestions. So question, can people reason with you? I'm going to say it again. Can people reason with you? Can your kids reason with you? Can your spouse reason with you? Can your friends reason with you? Can your brothers and sisters in Christ reason with you? Or do you get defensive? Do you get defensive and say, I don't want to hear it, or when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you? Huh? Question. Are you one who rebels against authority? Let me ask you this. Are you a know-it-all? Are you know-it-all? Listen, if you're wise, you'll be open to suggestions and ideas. You will be, listen now, get this, teachable. Teachable. Proverbs 12, 15, the Living Bible. Proverbs 12, 15, the Living Bible. Says a fool thinks he needs no advice, but a wise man listens to others. I love that. A wise man listens to others. The next characteristics that James lists is full of mercy. Full of mercy. Now, people often ask me, Pastor, what's the difference between grace and mercy? Well, let me put it this way. Justice, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Let me say it again. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. Let me put it this way. Let's say that you run a red light and... The police officer pulls you over and he gives you a ticket. He gives you a ticket. That's justice. Well, let's say that he warns you, just warns you and lets you go. That's mercy. Let's say that he gives you a ticket and then pays for the ticket. That's grace. Got it? That's grace. Matthew 5, 7 says this. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let me ask you a question. Are you full of mercy? Or full of something else, huh? Are you full of mercy? And you know what's sad? You know what's sad but true is that when we make mistakes, we want God's mercy right away, don't we? we want it right, right away. But when those uh, we love blow it, we are quick to judge and slow to give mercy. Question. In your relationships, are you loving or judging? Are you supportive or destructive? Are you... Do you, excuse me, do you emphasize their mistakes or do you give mercy? Friends, be merciful. In chapter 2, verse 13 of James, remember it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. The next characteristic is, and good fruit. Good fruit, good fruit. 
It means filled with compassion, and it means filled with pity. It's being kind and thoughtful. Now, now by, by adding good fruit, James is going back to what he said in chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, that our faith must show itself by works because godly wisdom is not theoretical, it's not philosophical, it's practical. In other words, it rolls up its sleeves and it gets dirty. It does something. The believer, listen now, the believer is gracious. The believer is kind and characterized by the fruit of God's Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Go home and read that. Now listen. People who are faithful are fruitful. I'm going to say it again. People who are faithful are fruitful. You see, God's wisdom doesn't make a life empty. It makes it full, full of good fruit. The next characteristic that James writes, lists, is impartial. Impartial. This means being fair and, and just, okay? It doesn't embrace prejudice uh, and stereotypes. And we talked about this in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And James says, don't show favoritism. We are to show impartiality. We are to, listen now, follow the royal law. What's the royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he finally gives the eighth characteristic is sincere. Sincere. Sincerity. In the Greek, it means being honest, means being trustworthy, genuine. It means being straightforward without hypocrisy. Now, in the Greek theater, the same actor would play two or three parts, uh, changing masks for each specific role. They called those actors hypocrites. So I want you to follow me here. If you're really wise, you won't wear a mask. You got it? You won't be phony. You'll be sincere and honest about your weaknesses. You'll be real. You'll be real, authentic, okay? You're not playing a role or pretending to be what you're not. You're not hiding behind different kinds of masks. Question, are you willing, listen now, are you willing to admit your own weaknesses or are you disguising them? Think about that. Are you sincere? Now, these characteristics describe the character of Jesus Christ. So if we seek after his wisdom, we'll put on his character. Point number four is the practice, the practice, the practice of godly wisdom, the practice of godly wisdom. In other words, the result, the result. Look at verse 18 with me. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest, I love that, of righteousness, We'll read that again. Peacemakers who sow in peace, who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. Now notice that James here uses a metaphor for, for wisdom and he compares it with a seed that is sown and results in a particular fruit being produced. I want you to follow me here. It anticipates that a specific kind of produce from godly wisdom is the fruit of righteousness, a harvest of of righteousness. You see, it recognizes that this fruit only comes when the seed, got to get this now, when the seed is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, so, this doesn't happen by chance. We must sow in peace, right? We must do something. We must sow in peace. It's kind of like a farmer. You know, a farmer doesn't just sit around and expect to get a, uh, expect to get a harvest. He sows seed. And if he sows corn, he reaps corn, not 
lettuce. My point is this. You reap what you sow. And if you sow selfishness and strife, you will reap conflict. If you sow peace, you will reap a harvest of righteousness, not sin. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. What we are is what we live. What we live is what we sow. What we sow determines what we reap. Now listen, possessing godly wisdom brings peace with God and peace with others. When there's peace vertically, there's peace horizontally. And you see, godly wisdom once possessed will be revealed throughout our lives for others to see. So as believers, we should be characterized as peacemakers. Back to Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers. Why? For they shall be called the children of God. When you're a peacemaker, you'll be recognized as one who belongs to the Father. Write this down, Isaiah 32, 17. Isaiah 32, chapter 32, verse 17 says, I love this, the fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect will be quietness and confidence forever. That's awesome. Love that. Our lives are overcome with righteousness and peace. So question, is there peace in your relationships? I'm going to ask that again. Is there peace in your relationships? And if not, then you need to check what kind of seed you're sowing. What kind of seed you're sowing. Listen, we, we have learned from the text that there are two kinds of wisdom, right? There, there's wisdom from above, that's godly wisdom, and there's worldly, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic wisdom, that's wisdom from below. So question, which one is characterizing your life? Question, of the eight characteristics, how many are now present in your life? You see, friends, wisdom reflects your level and my level of maturity. Now, in my introduction, I showed you four ways how to obtain wisdom from above. In other words, how to get it. So I want to close my message on showing you Four ways how to maintain, okay, how to maintain wisdom from above, how to keep it. So how to obtain it, how to get it, and now how to maintain it, how to obtain it, how to get it, how to maintain it, how to keep it. Four ways. If you're ready, say yes. First way is pray daily. Pray daily. Write that down, pray daily. Every day, we need to ask God for wisdom. God, I need your wisdom, Lord, to make right choices. I need your wisdom, Lord, to respond rightly. Lord, I need your wisdom when to speak and when not to speak. Lord, I need your wisdom to live right. So we need to pray daily for wisdom. The second way is be a student of God's word. Be a student of God's word. Write that down. Be a student of God's word. Hey, if we're serious if we're serious about maintaining godly wisdom, it only makes sense to listen to his word, to listen to his word, and do what he has clearly, listen now, instructed in his word. Right? 
And if you do that, you'll maintain wisdom from above. Now, what I recommend, I recommend you read the Bible, period, but I also recommend that you read the book of Proverbs. It's, it's wisdom for young people and wisdom for all people and wisdom for leaders. It teaches the value and examples and application of wisdom. Now, remember, remember, God opens his wisdom to those who open his, what? Word. So pray daily, be a student of God's word. The third way is learn from the wise. I love that. Learn from the wise. Learn from the wise. So, so associate with, listen, and learn from wise believers. Proverbs 15.22, Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Love that. So, so cultivate relationships with wise believers and consult them on important decisions. There's a couple of, of men that I meet with, and, and I meet with them, and I meet with them because I love to glean from their wisdom. Fourth way is protect ourselves from worldly thinking. Protect ourselves from worldly thinking. So pray daily, be a student of God's word, learn from the wise, and protect ourselves from worldly thinking. Friends, we need to be alert and discerning to the view of wisdom supported by television shows, by, by movies, by news programs, by social media, music, and more. And we need to ask ourselves, what values are being promoted? Which wisdom is being dispensed? Listen, God's word, his truth is objective. Truth is objective. So we need to evaluate all things by the objective standard of God's word. You see, wisdom is when we live our lives by God's word, when we recognize truth from error and have the courage to live by that which is true. So ultimately, hopefully and ultimately, believers will notice our behavior before they hear our words. So our responsibility as believers is to translate knowledge into action, to live with wisdom from above. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that ministered to our hearts today. In the light, Father, of what we've learned, make, make us hungry for a pure heart and help us to be peacemakers, not troublemakers or peacebreakers and give us the grace to respond gently when we feel like blowing up. And set us free from partiality and favoritism and Lord, make us believers whose lives are an open book and use us to plant seeds that will reap a great harvest for you. So Lord, fill us and guide us with your wisdom. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. See you next time.